Today we're going to continue our series, Invisible, a sermon series on spiritual warfare. If anyone doubts today that we're at war, just read the news or watch the news. News reports from different channels telling the same news with different views and different values. It appears to us to be political wars or wars of ideas, culture wars, value wars, wars over traditional marriage or abortion or women's rights or sexual identity or socialism versus capitalism, immigration, gun rights. And I can go on and on with all the conflicts that we see today. And even though this warfare works its way out in the realm of ideas, politics, values, and rights, the real battle is invisible. It's the invisible war, it's a spiritual war. We read in Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion, looking for someone to devour. There is a war. Most of us, I think, are aware that there's a battle. And we have an opponent who's the devil or Satan. God is all-powerful and God is sovereign, but Satan has an obvious influence and a powerful presence in our world. What does God allow Satan to do? And what are the indications of his spiritual attacks? In other words, how do we know it's the devil who's responsible? And what are our weapons of warfare? How do we fight? What do we do with all of this? What do we have in our arsenal to fight in the heavenly realm? Some people deny, some people would deny that Satan has any power. They try to minimize his role in history and the affairs of people. And indeed, the Bible teaches us to worship God, but to be aware of Satan. We're to worship God, but to be aware of Satan. This six-part sermon series is on this very relevant and important topic of spiritual warfare. And again, I would urge you, if you're absent on any of the Sundays, or if you've missed any of the messages, uh, to, I'd urge you to go online and listen to the messages on our website, ecwesleyan.net. And, uh, and if you want the sermon notes, uh, you can actually request those. You can email uh, office at ecwesleyan.net and ask for the notes, and they can be, they'll be emailed to you or sent to you, however you'd like to receive them. Very important that, because we can't cover everything in one Sunday, we've tried to find a balance in all of this. As we continue this series on spiritual warfare, I just want you to continue to be warned. As we begin to learn and start to practice our God-given responsibilities and our giftings, the enemy will become angry and he may attack you personally. You can count on it, he may attack you personally. The material we cover is all from the Bible. In John 10.10, 10, it says the thief, speaking of Satan, he says, comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. Most of us know the fact that God loves us and has a wonderful plan for our life. God loves us and has a wonderful plan for our life. We also know, conversely, that Satan hates you and has a horrible plan for your life. He wants to destroy you. Fact, Satan's mission is to destroy any and all Good. Fact, good versus evil is a battle that has raged from the very beginning of time. Fact, Satan is opposed to anything from God. Fact, 
Satan has none of the powers that God has. God is omnipresent. In fact, the meaning he's everywhere at once. Satan can only be in one place at one time. God is omniscient, which means he knows all things. Satan has limited knowledge. In fact, Satan thought that if he murdered the Messiah and crucified him, that he would win. And of course, God had a different plan. He just played into God's hand because that was the, that was the way we were redeemed by the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. 1 John 4, 4 says to you and to me, you dear children are from God and you have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one is, who is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than the one that's in the world. So fact, we have the power and authority to deal with Satan and his demons because greater is the spirit of God in you than the one that's in the world. Because of that, we should have no fear, no fear, no fear. Be aware, not alarmed. Be aware of the enemy, but being impressed with God. That's the title of today's message, no fear. Sometimes we need to understand some of these concepts so that we don't have fear. Now we must strike a balance, just a note here, strike a balance of the denial of satanic activity and the danger of focusing on it too much. We do not want to be preoccupied with Satan. We are to be preoccupied with God, but aware of Satan. Preoccupied with God and aware of Satan. John Dawson writes, morbid fascination is a carnal appetite that can drive us to search out the hidden knowledge of the evil realm. We should not be preoccupied with the evil realm or be preoccupied with Satan or the demonic, anything like that. Be preoccupied and focused on God but always be aware that there is a war going on. There's a war. Today, no fear. We're gonna look at five ways that Satan attacks us and three reasons that God allows the attacks. Five ways God, Satan attacks us and, three, and five, three reasons God allows the attacks. Let's start with the five ways Satan attacks us. This is not exhaustive but it's illustrative, and I think we can draw some parallels as we look at that. I'd like you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. It's on page 941 in the Bible in the rack in front of you. I'm gonna read a little bit of the, of the background before we get to the actual passage, verse seven, uh, to give us some context. Paul is writing here to the Corinthian church and starting in verse 2, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would, not, well, I would be a, not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted but what I do or say. Then here's our text, verse seven. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in 
weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, we're not, we're not going to take a lot of time looking at what the Paul's thorn in the flesh was, because there's a lot of speculation of what that actually was, uh, nor the reason why he should become conceited, because basically he, he had these great experiences with God, and, and he said, I, I would be tempted to become conceited. And for that reason, God allowed a messenger of Satan or a thorn in the flesh. Now, Paul didn't tell us what that was. We don't know for sure. But that's not what's important. The important thing is that the thorn in the flesh is called a messenger from Satan. In other words, the causal factor of this flesh attack, of this attack physically, was Satan. Satan caused the attacks. Now, there are five different words that are used to describe these attacks by Satan. And I want us to look at each one of those. They're found in verse 10. The first one is called weaknesses or infirmities. Simply put, it means that the devil can attack us physically. We talked about that before. The devil can attack us physically. He did it here to Paul, and he, he also did it to other people in the New Testament. In the life of Jesus, Satan is listed as the cause of sickness. In Luke 13, in Luke 13 there's a woman who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over, and she couldn't straighten up. And Jesus healed her actually on the Sabbath, much to the objections of the synagogue ruler there. And then he said in verse 16, should, then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? So this, the, this woman's infirmity, her physical illness, what was keeping her bound, was actually directly caused by Satan. Now, that doesn't mean that all sickness is from the devil, just so you know, okay? Not all sickness is from the devil. There are two extreme positions, and you hear this, all sickness is from the devil, or no sickness is from the devil. You know, and both of those are not, neither one of those are true. He can cause sicknesses, but it may be other things as well. Satan can and does influence the physical realm, and with God's permission, Satan brought this physical disaster or this physical illness on Paul. And we find also with God's permission that Satan brought physical disasters from nature to destroy Job, back in the book of Job, his family and his possessions. Then he afflicted Job with terrible sores or diseases. Again, it was only with God's permission. But that's not always what it is. So if people get sick, they sometimes blame the devil. Sometimes, or more often, it's caused by germs or infections or even insect bites. You know, could be all kinds of things. Most often, we're not sick because of the devil or judgment from God, but bacteria or viruses or physiological ab abnormalities. We, we live in a fallen world. So why, why is that? And how can we tell the difference? How can we tell the difference? How do we know it's, what's the cause? Well, physical sickness has four major causes. Four major causes. First one is human frailty. Human frailty. When Adam and Eve sinned, God said they would surely die. Now, Adam and Eve didn't die right away. He said, if you sin, you'll surely die. You eat from that tree, you'll surely die. But they begin to age and die. They begin, that's the first time that actually death began, because before then, they were immortal on earth. See, this is a fallen world, and physically, we weaken over time. We weaken over time. 
we weaken. The average lifespan right after the sin of Abraham and Eve was about seven to 800 years. That's a long time, seven to 800 years. And a guy named Methuselah lasted over 900 years, okay? But slowly the lifespan declined and the further we move from the creation of the fall, the shorter lifespan became. Now the average lifespan for people in America today is for men it's 77 years and for women it's 83 years. That's because women lie about their age, but that's something else. <laughs> Our bodies are, are finite. We, they break down, we lose muscle, we gain fat, we have to wear glasses, we get our teeth filled to replace, our, our joints get stiff, gravity pulls us down, we get sags and bags and wrinkles. And only Botox uh, is the answer for that, for a while. But we all experience weakness or human fra frailty and we get sick and eventually we are all going to die. Just, it's a fact of life. Now, I, I read that if you cut back on food consumption, you'll live longer. In other words, if you can be hungry a lot, you, you eat the less food than you normally do, you can, you can actually live longer. But most of us would rather die than be hungry. So we just, we, you know, we eat, that's okay. And if all your life, I, I read an article that said, if, if you exercise your whole life for 30 minutes, four times a week, they will add to your lifespan an average of Six months, okay? So, some would rather relax and go to heaven sooner. That's, that, that's fine. <laughs> but all of us will someday find the end of our life, whatever that is. It's human frailty. So that's part of sickness and disease. So we, that's not de the devil's fault. That's, that's just part of the fallen nature. Sickness can also come from physical abuse. Abusing our bodies or improper diet, lack of exercise, stress, not enough rest. There are a lot of ways that we can abuse our bodies or someone else can abuse your body as well. And that happens. So, so physical abuse or abuse of our body can bring illness as well. And that happens. God sometimes will bring sickness as a physical judgment to bring us to realization of our need to repent to God. You look through the Old Testament, God would allow certain kinds of physical ailments in people's lives to bring them to repentance and, and come back to God. And sometimes God allows certain things in our lives to help us realize that we are dependent on God and we need, or we need to repent of a sin, whatever that is. And so sometimes that happens. And finally, sickness can come from the devil. It does happen. When things look abnormal or unexplainable, outside what we know as unusual circumstances or usual circumstances, Satan may be the source of illness, physical illness. He does things like that. And Paul came to that conclusion. He said, this is a messenger of Satan. And so he asked God to take it away. He said, take away my infirmity. And God said, no. What? Why would God do that? Wow. See, attacks in the area of weakness and infirmities can be debilitating. When we're sick physically, we're almost neutralized. That's why it's so important to take care of ourselves physically, be healthy and strong, in order to be as effective as we can possibly be, spiritually even. The weaker we are physically, the more vulnerable we can be spiritually. But sometimes, there's nothing we can do about it. Sometimes there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. Weaknesses, Satan will attack us in weaknesses or infirmities. 
The second way Satan attacks us that Paul lists here in verse 10 is insults or reproaches. Satan will attack us through insults or accusations. He's called the accuser of the brethren. The accuser of the brethren. Accuser of believers. Satan, you're, you're no good. You're worthless. God will never forgive that sin. He's going to accuse you. Your life isn't worth living or whatever it is. He'll try to make us look bad, feel bad, ruin our reputation, whatever it might be. But he will accuse us, and, and he, that's why he's called the accuser. Insults, reproaches, that's what he does. Thirdly, Satan can attack us with hardships or distress. The definition of a hardship is to cause sorrow, misery, suffering, pain, or trouble. This is, this is just the stuff of life. Now, we all experience strain, pain, and stress. That's part of life. And Satan may cause that, or he may take that just to use it to discourage us, to get us down. All of us experience stress. All of us can be discouraged. We can we have stresses in finances, a lost job. You can have tension in your marriage, problem with children, trouble at work, unfulfilled expectations, different types of pain that we experience, physical pain, emotional pain, relational pain, whatever it is. And that isn't necessarily caused by Satan, but he'll take that and try to debilitate us. And he'll accuse us and say, look at what you're experiencing. It's because you're bad or you're evil or you've done something wrong. You're reaping what you've, you know, there are all kinds of things he can accuse us of. It's debilitating. And Satan will try to destroy you through hardships. All of us experience hardships. And fourth, persecutions. Satan will bring people in our lives to persecute us for our faith. Now, most of us will experience kind of what I would call subtle persecution or covert persecution. Uh, it might be just somebody that excludes you from their group, uh, exclusion at work or school, ignoring you, just not wanting to have anything to do with you because you seem pretty goody two-shoes, or you're righteous, and you don't do certain things, and you experience that, especially students in school experience that. If they won't participate in certain types of, of activities, they will be excluded. And, and we want to be included. We, we have this, we want it to be accepted. And, and whether it's at a workplace where, where you work, or where you go to school, your neighbor, whatever, there's this subtle persecution of rejection. But there's also the overt persecution, outright attacks. And we have people out on the front lines, even in America today, mostly overseas, but people who are dying for their faith. They cannot mention God or their religion, cannot share their faith. We have people that are florists and bakers who have lost their business and lost their homes because they dared stand up for righteousness and say, I will bake a cake or I'll give flowers to anybody and serve anybody, but I'm not going to celebrate a gay wedding or I'm not going to celebrate a union. I'm not going to do that, but I'll refer you to someone else. A good friend of ours, Kristen, Kristen Wagoner, is the uh, head of legal services for Alliance Defending Freedom, and she's in the middle of those cases and has been for some time. Those are, those are real, very real persecutions. It's kind of rare in America. 
but it's happening. But go overseas, go, go to a place like North Korea. You can lose your life or you can be sent to concentration camp for life just for having one small printed piece of scripture. They pass pieces of scripture around, just the parts of the Bible. If you have a whole Bible, it's just unbelievably unusual. They, they hang on to that. But if you're caught with anything like that, it's over for you. It's starting to get that bad in China again. Amazing what's happened. There are persecutions out there. Satan will attack by persecutions. And the fifth way Satan attacks us is difficulties. Difficulties, making things tough, difficult, harder, harder than it should be, placing obstacles in our way. Dean Sherman gives some examples, and he says this. Satan can attack by holding back our necessities or by sending difficulties on our way. The acquiring of things needed to get the gospel out to the lost is being hindered by the powers of darkness. He wants to stop it. This is a major strategy of the enemy to discredit God and his faithfulness and to keep his work from going forward. Unfortunately, he says, it's amazingly successful. How many missionaries and pastors have given up disillusioned after years of battling severe financial hardship? We have to resist the enemy and see the release of finances and buildings and workers and all the provisions we need for ministry. We must, he says, we must resist the devil until he quits. He is hoping we quit first. Difficult. It's just hard. Life is hard. Sometimes it's hard. And in our individual life, Satan will attack us with weaknesses, infirmities, with insults, with hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. And the one question, and I know you probably asked this, why? Why? It's a question our kids ask at about between two and four, age two to four. Why? Everything's why. And we ask God, why? Why, God? Why do you allow these things in my life? And I'm sure that, that Paul asked those questions as well. Now, I don't have all the answers, but I, I, I am going to give you three today that I think make sense. And we find these clues, three, three clues as to why God allows attacks. Three reasons God allows attacks. And to look at that, I want to turn to Judges 3, verses 1 and 2. It's on page 191 if you want to turn there. Judges 3, 1 to 2. And it says, These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. They were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands which he had given their forefathers through Moses. Huh, that's an interesting, interesting concept. So why, why here? So we don't forget to fight. So we don't forget how to fight. We don't forget how to fight. So we don't lose the art of war. And I'm talking spiritual warfare here. Does God still want us to know warfare, how to fight? Does he still want us to develop warriors? Yes. Many of you here remember when the Berlin Wall came down. The Berlin Wall came down and the USSR became Russia and independent republics. The Cold War was over. 
Russia no longer presented an imminent threat. And we could have said, as many did at the time, we don't need our military any longer. We're the world's only superpower. We no longer have any enemies. Fortunately, the military continued to train and prepare and to develop warriors and leadership and soldiers. We continued to make tremendous advances in battlefield technology. Why? Well, first we had some small-scale conflicts, then came 9-11, Afghanistan, Iraq, and Syria. Now there's a resurgent China and Russia, even Iran, that are threatening peace and stability. I'm sure glad we kept training and developing warriors. Spiritually, we can grow complacent, think we're safe, we don't need to fight any longer, then we lose the art of spiritual warfare. Lonely voices, lonely voices called for 40 years, called the church to spiritual battle and nobody was listening. And then a, a, a guy named Frank Peretti wrote a book, This Present Darkness. How many of you read that? This present darkness, Frank Peretti, it was like a battle cry, an awareness of this spiritual battle going on. And predictably then, everyone got on the bandwagon or the great emphasis, sometimes an overemphasis and a preoccupation with spiritual warfare for a while. Then, as always happens in America, the fad passed, and we just kind of started getting complacent again. And now we need to relearn warfare. We need to relearn spiritual warfare. How do we fight the battle in the heavenlies? John Dawson makes a very interesting statement. He says, the hostile environment is essential for our eternal future. The hostile environment is essential for our eternal future. What is he saying? He's saying we need warfare, we need opposition so we don't forget how to fight. We've got to remember the battle we're in. Why? Closely related to that is so we don't forget there's a war going on. We don't forget there's a war going on. When our lives are smooth, everything is going well, we become complacent and settled and fat and happy, unconcerned about the evil around us and the lives being destroyed by the enemy. When I was at the, at the gym last, in June, just before we went on vacation, I was talking to a gentleman there, and he, uh, knowing I, he found out I was a pastor. I don't usually bring that up that I'm a pastor. It ruins conversations. But this, this particular guy said, okay, interesting. He said, what's, a very perceptive question. He said, what's the greatest challenge for the church today? What's the greatest challenge for the church today? And I thought for a moment, my answer to him was brokenness. Brokenness. Broken lives, broken families, broken people. I said the greatest challenge is how do we find answers to all the brokenness? Because Satan has destroyed so many lives and people have made horrible decisions and they've been broken, they've been attacked. And people are broken. And I said, the greatest challenge is, how do we deal with the brokenness in our culture? Eau Claire is full of broken people. Broken lives. 
And see, God is the one that puts that back together again. God is the one that can do that. When we see the predominance of things like gender confusion and same-sex marriage and elevation of sexual sin, we see all kinds of brokenness and that we're aware there's a battle going on. And this battle touches so many of our lives and families, our children, family, our friends, schools, our neighborhoods, our church. Then it becomes personal. We must not forget this is going on. Don't forget, there's a war. And the third reason God allows attacks, third reason is to remind us of our power source. To remind us of our power source. It, back to our text, 2 Corinthians, verses 9 and 10 of 2 Corinthians 12. It said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. This is called the power paradox. We, we don't think of this in human terms. When I'm weak, I'm weak, okay? How can I be weak and be strong at the same time? God's power is made perfect in our weakness. When I'm weak, I'm strong. Therefore, he says, I will boast about my weakness so God can make me strong. Then it's not up to us. It's up to God. We like to celebrate independence the American way. Independence. Instead, we need to celebrate dependence God's way. Dependence, dependence on God. Our whole journey of life is a movement from independence from God to dependence on God. Do you resist that as much as I do? I don't like it. I don't like depending on anybody, let alone on God. It's a whole, it's a journey from independence to dependence. In our weakness, we're made strong. Dependence on God. And our dependence on God's grace is to transform this thorn in the flesh, this messenger from Satan, into something good. Now, Paul never said that the thorn of the messenger was good. But he does say it accomplished good in his life. And he later writes in Romans 8. Romans 8. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He works these things out for our good. The power paradox. No fear. Five reasons Satan attacks us, three reasons God allows attacks as we move forward. Now, the last Sunday in August, August 25th, we're going to conclude our series, Invisible, on spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6.10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the mighty power. We're to be aware, not alarmed, because Jesus won. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. No fear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.
that you have given us that assurance that no matter what the attacks are, you have a purpose and you have a plan and you will work those things out. And I just pray, God, that we would be aware of what's going on. And God, that we would depend on you completely. As we look around at our brokenness, the, the brokenness of this world, that you, God, would speak to, to each and every one of us to how, how you found the solution to that brokenness. And I pray that you will help us to not be afraid, help us to be aware, but not intimidated by the enemy. That we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you, God, are in control. And the Spirit of God in us is more powerful than any power out there. And we thank you for that assurance in Jesus' name. Let's stand, shall we?